as long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Parami app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radio Potomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710KURV. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710KURV and KURV.com. Here's Zach. It's an honor and a privilege as usual to. Uh, say hello to our county judge of Hidalgo County, Richard Cortez, our guest on your 956 Drive Hall. And one of the big topics of discussion for a lot of different people is Title 42. And you've sent a letter to the president of the United States once again uh, asking for solutions to this upon the event of Title 42 ending. So what's the situation that we've got right now? And what do you fear will happen when Title 42 finally leaves us? Uh, okay. <laughs> Good afternoon. You asked me uh, multiple yes, questions, so I'll try to answer them. Uh, first of all, the concern is that Title 42 is a tool that uh, the people from DHS have to manage the flow of legal immigrants seeking asylum. When that is removed, then all of the people that are waiting for something or an opening to come here that are on the on the southern border, uh, we believe are going to will will be crossing. So we're concerned that we're going to go from a manageable point of view right now, which right now we're managing that situation to an unmanageable situation. And quite honestly, my goodness gracious, uh, during Christmas, really <laughs> you're going to do all this on December twenty first. Uh, That's a good point. You know, we have a stressful jobs already with the people that are in charge and border patrol and customs mm-hmm. and you're going to put more pressure on it. So I wanted our president to lend his leadership to convince Congress that they can't solve the border problems with an enforcement only policy, which is what they've been doing for decades. They have to change the law because the law right now says that if somebody comes to a port of entry and says, Hey, I fear for my life in my country, they're supposed to check them out for if they have any criminal record, and if they don't, they assign them a court date and they turn them loose. Okay, they turn they they turn them loose. Well, wait a minute. We have two thousand, three thousand people. There's not enough agents in the ports of entry to administer to them. So what's going to happen? They're going to ask for help, and the help's going to come from Border Patrol, and they're going to bring in people in between the ports of entry where most of the bad guys are coming in move them out of the field and bring them into the ports of entry to lawfully take care of those immigrants because the law says you've got to take care of them. And this is just wrong. And I'm just, uh, I'm just amazed that, you know, we're supposed to have smart people in Washington and they can't realize the situation that we're in. They cannot realize that an enforcement-only policy is not going to change things. Uh, I've, been in phone, uh, I've been in calls with with Border Patrol, with Sister Norma and other people, it doesn't appear to be a backup situation. So all they're, they're, they're trying to do now is to increase capacity. Well, increasing capacity is, is like we have a, a water leak 
and I'm going to give them more buckets to put the water in. <laughs> yeah. I'm solve the problem. So I wanted to voice my concern and, and, and hopefully put public attention like, like you guys are calling me today. I mean, that's what I want. I want, I want the public to know that we are in a situation that our people in, in, in Washington are not taking care of. Joining us on 710KURV, Hidalgo County Judge Richard Cortez. I don't imagine the Biden administration has said, you know what, you're absolutely right, we're going to send support right away. No. 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 It hasn't happened, and I, I hope it does. Uh, here we are a few weeks away from, from December 21st, and the only thing I've heard is there's going to be more capacity to handle more people, <laughs> but that in itself is not a solution to the problem. Mm -hmm. And I give you guys a lot of credit. There's a lot of effort and resources and manpower that goes on behind the scenes to uh, ensuring that this problem doesn't affect the, the general public of Hidalgo County and the surrounding areas. Uh, our guest is well, Richard Cortez, Hidalgo County Judge our, uh, on uh, 710 KURV. Did you have something to say before we move on? We wanted to ask you yes, about the, yes, the county jail well, situation. Well, I was say, it, it was surprising to me that I was criticized because I was opposed to to be condoning these immigrants coming in. When when we when we found out that all these immigrants were coming in and they were they were not going to check them for COVID, we said, "Hey, wait a minute! You know, yeah. we can't have them go into our, our airports, our restaurants, our, our bus stations." Uh, not knowing whether they were carrying an infectious disease, so we isolated them over there in Oslo Lewis Park, and we got criticized that we were that we were harboring illegals. Okay, so man, let me tell you, <laughs> somebody wants my job, come and get it, because it's, it's sometimes it's a little hard <laughs> to, to convince to convince the people about some things. Um, Davis had a question about the the county jail situation right yeah. now. Harboring Har illegal aliens, everything south of the checkpoint. Um, the uh, county jail, um, uh, what I'm going to say is not scientific, but as long as I've been doing what I'm doing, and the county jail has always been too small. Uh, when Brig Marmolejo took over, he said, the jail is too small. It wasn't even open yet. You're going to rent space in Willisie County, long-term lease. Um, what, what's the virtue of that uh, rather than building a honker big county jail? that you will own and that, that way you don't have to pay anybody to uh to put up prisoners for from hidalgo uh, uh you know david as you know i'm a financial person and i'm also yes. a banker and i understand finances very well right now the cost of construction if we were to, to construct uh, a new jail it would cost us about three hundred and sixty eight thousand dollars per bed good lord okay <laughs> Uh, and it would take us, let's say, three to four years to complete. We were yeah. fortunate that, that Willisie County, because President Biden took away the ability for them to lease it to to, to private, you know, companies, mm -hmm. uh, which what they had, they they needed they needed help, and and we're, we're buying or, or we didn't want to buy an old jail because it has certain life expectancy so yeah. leasing it with the terms of extension made the most sense to us because as long as it's usable and, and, and it makes sense to us we continue we continue to lease it at the moment 
the moment that, that it doesn't, then, then we give it, we give it back to them. Because the courthouse, as you know, we built it, I think, somewhere in the 50s, and we're going to yeah. tear it down. So ah. imagine we're buying an old, an old jail. It's not going to, they're not going to be there forever. So we felt that the lease, the lease that we negotiated yeah. made the most sense for us, uh, in, in, in not only in the short term, but in the long term. Okay. Thank you. Uh, Zach? Oh, I thought you had a follow-up question. Oh, I got a lot of questions, but not not enough time. So I understand my hand signal might have been confusing, Davey. It's okay. If you have one more question as a follow-up, go ahead. Uh, when uh, when do you, if you can predict, when would it be appropriate uh, to for the county to look at construction, or is that something that's not possible to say now? And, and, well, and leasing may be what y'all decide to do over the long term. The truth is that we have no choice. Uh, we yeah. are mandated by yeah. the state of Texas to house prisoners. Yes, sir. And if, and if we don't do it ourselves, they're going to come in here and do it for us and send us a bill, a bill that we have to pay. So we'd rather do it under our control than their control. So yes. the answer is, uh, I, I can't tell you the answer, but, 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 there's several ways to reduce jail population. Uh, how many do we have in jail with nonviolent crimes? Okay. How many do we have in jail because they can't get arraigned? How many do we have in jail because they can't get a court hearing? So we have to improve uh, in all of our judicial system how to more effectively and, 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 and equitably and efficiently uh, uh, get people out, <laughs> out of jail. That, yeah, yeah. Being there for, for for a minor for a minor violation, and let's leave the jail for the more violent people. Right now, we have a mix of both. Amen. Judge, I know there's a lot of stuff on your plate right now. We'll we'll let you go. Thanks a lot for spending Thank some you time here with us. That's Hidalgo County Judge Richard Cortez joining us on News Talk 710 KURV. You're listening to an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. As long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radioparami app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radiopotomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710-KURV. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710-KURV and KURV.com. Here's Zach. Joining us is Harvey Kromberg from the Quorum Report. And I believe the topic of discussion has to do with school choice. And that's a big, big topic that's supposed to be coming up in 2023. What have you heard so far? Well, the uh, governor uh, was uh, making it a number one priority issue uh, during the campaign and until he went on to a West Texas radio station and was confronted about some of the details about how vouchers or school choice works and uh, backpedaled uh, uh 
uh, it, it, it has uh, passed in the Senate consistently and failed in the House routinely, uh, uh, mostly because rural school districts oppose it. The schools are the center of their communities in small town Texas, and uh, uh, anything that takes money away from, I'm going to be semi-facetious here, but anything that takes uh, uh, money away from uh, Friday night football in small town Texas is <laughs> the kiss of death for a politician. Wow. Okay. That's that's a that's a that's a spicy take there. I do like that though. Uh, <laughs> hold on, but but before before we continue with the with the discussion, thank you for joining us, Davey. And uh, for those that are new to this school voucher discussion, can you break it down for us? Sure. Uh, right now, you are uh, most school district. You're you're assigned to your school by the school district, and um, the complaint has been that too many schools are failing too many children, and that the money goes to the school instead of the money following the student, and the student should have, and their and their parents should have choices about where they can go to school, including charter schools and um, and private schools. But when you take there's say you've got a hundred million dollars for all of public education. Uh, if the money starts to follow students into private schools, then suddenly you've got nine hundred and forty million dollars instead of a, or yeah, uh, you've got less. Uh, and as a result, uh, the the individual school districts will get less money. The way school districts get money today is how many we say it very. Uh, um, uh, appropriately, seats and butts. How many children are actually sitting in classrooms determine how um, how much money you get. So, even in Austin, Texas, which is a boom town, we have more people, more more folks moving out of town with kids moving into the suburbs. And so, Austin Independent School District is starving for money, and that's even without vouchers. Uh, they've watched their revenues decrease, but the number of campuses they have to maintain are the same. And so anything that steals, uh, 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 takes money from uh, uh, public schools um, uh, and puts it to private schools diminishes the public schools. Joining us on 710 KURV, Harvey Kromberg, who is the head of the Quorum Report deep in the heart of our nation's, uh, our nation's, our state's capital. <laughs> well, uh, it should be. <laughs> yes, it should be. You're right. <laughs> David, go ahead. Uh, I think Har- Harvey would know of a uh, fancy private school. Is this micro? Oh, there he is. Hello. Am I? Yeah. There, there's a fancy private school that I actually had a friend go to called the Kincaid School in Houston. Yeah, absolutely. If, if this goes through, I know this, well. this uh would would somebody be able to go to the Kincaid School with the money? Because if the money's going to follow the student, and the student wants to go to Kincaid School, can they do that? Well, theoretically, yes. But uh, what what ends up happening, or I mean, there's some very successful charter schools. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, very individualized uh, attention paid to students, etc. But there's only so many spaces, and what happens is that the uh, charter school or the private school ends up picking its students. Uh, rather than the students, you, know, you have to apply in order to get in, yeah. and so they kind of they tend to self-select for the more successful students uh, rather than the problem students that uh, that advocates would uh, would typically support. Um, you will uh, once upon a time on the on the uh, floor of the Texas House, I, I did a poll among some uh, South Texas. Uh, 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 lawmakers and asked how many of them had their kids in public school and how many had their kids in private school. And about a third had them in private schools because they didn't trust their local public schools. Um, but the uh, other two-thirds said uh, that uh, 
their schools were absolutely fine. Their kids were getting a great education. Um, in theory, you should be able to pick the school that uh, your kid goes to. Uh, hmm. But uh, the flip side of that is that uh, uh, there's only a finite amount of resources, and the, st- the state has been reducing its participation in the cost of education anyway. Uh, one of the reasons property, I'm going off on a tangent here, but one of the reasons property taxes are so high is that uh, 30 years ago, the state paid for 50% of public education. Today, it pays for 35% of public education, and you, your county taxpayers have to pay the rest. Uh, so every dollar is precious to the public schools and to people who support public schools. Um, and so far, the number of people who who uh, would benefit uh, from uh, uh, school vouchers or school choice uh, is just a fraction of the overall student population. Harvey Kromberg is the head of the Quorum Report in Austin, joining us on your 956 Drive Home. This is an, this is an innocent question. It really is, because I don't know any better. But, uh, and, <laughs> That's and, why and, we're and, on the radio. And, and here's the thing. You might not be the person to ask this particular question to, but I'm, I'm trying to send the feelers out there to get an idea for this. We've got you know a teacher shortage, and there's been uh, lots of talk about teachers being overworked and underpaid and underappreciated and... They've got all these responsibilities that they don't that they don't need to have, and this is in the public school systems. You know, what have you heard from the private school systems, if anything? Are we well, going to have the same schools, problems? Um, uh, because they do self-select the um, uh, their students, tend to have less dangerous classrooms, so it's a more more attractive uh, workspace to start with uh, uh, for for most teachers. I don't know how the pay scales compare, but. Uh, the other issue facing uh, voucher uh, uh, private schools that are accepting public money is that whether or not they're going to be subject to um, state control. Um, in California, they rejected vouchers because evangelicals didn't want the state having anything to say about how they ran their schools. Um, uh, this which, was a few years back. Which is a traditional so, view, like the Baptist church was that way for a long time. I guess yes. it still is. And the... the uh, 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 there's a curriculum the State Board of Education designs. We can argue about whether it's a good curriculum or a bad curriculum, but but um, there's less accountability to the state, therefore there's less paperwork, therefore they're less dependent on testing, and so it is an attractive alternative for a lot of teachers. I see. But um, I would argue that uh, besides the fact that they're underpaid, the amount of paperwork that a teacher now has to do in, uh, in the public mm-hmm. school system um, uh, demanded by the various bureaucracies is uh, through the roof. They mostly have to do it at home on their own time, and they end up having to buy school supplies because their schools are underfunded. Uh, uh, so it's uh, uh, and and I would argue that uh, I started down the accountability pathway there. The other issue is that uh, uh, right now they're talking about holding teachers accountable for what gets taught in their classroom. And uh, so not only is our, particularly urban areas and some area, other areas is it is your personal safety in jeopardy, but um, but you with the state looking over your shoulder and um, and there being potential penalties for teaching inappropriately, all of a sudden the the teaching profession is amazingly unattractive. My uh, and again this this isn't as spicy a take as as it sounds, but uh, I was I was thinking well. If school, if if the voucher program does get the money and it takes away from public schools, aren't all the schools going to be suffering anyway? With the with the teacher shortage being the way it is, I didn't know that the 
the teacher uh, environment at the at the private schools were a little bit more plush than at the than at the public schools. So that's fascinating. Davis Rankin, your question? I don't know. I don't ahead, know they're more plush. They're more controlled. Okay, that's a, that's a better uh, way. Certainly, there's private schools that are more plush, obviously. But uh, for instance, you've got Catholic schools, okay. parochial schools that have uh, taken on that mission, and I don't know that yeah. they're particularly plush. Uh, and there's a lot of schools that uh, these charter schools that that target at-risk children. So um, I, I don't want to paint with too broad a brush. There's a lot of value to what they're offering. Right. That was my Obviously. word, and that was my mistake for for painting it that way. So I apologize for that. But uh, yeah. Davey, go ahead. Uh, Two, two questions, if we have time. Mm-hmm. One is the attempt to get vouchers has, has happened. I don't know how many sessions it's been attempted, and it never makes it. In fact, I'm not sure it comes clo- has come close, number one. So number two, how, um, how, if you're afraid of vouchers, don't want them, how f- afraid should you be this session, number one? And uh, number two, I understand the argument about well, we they don't like the charter schools don't have to take these students. They can pick and choose who they. But so I said once to some public school people, because the government is the government has forced them to put to to mainstream kids who who they say don't learn in fact don't know where they are a lot of times, and I, I right, realize I'm right, wandering exactly. into a minefield. Uh, uh, and I said, well, have you fought that in the legislature? Have you got your late representative to go up there and fight for you to, so you don't have to do this, which is sucking your resources? And they just looked at me like I was crazy. So um, th- there you go. Um, well, remember, if you've got a school district, say, out in uh, San Angelo, outside of San Angelo, yeah. it's an independent school district with two high schools. It takes 70 uh, – the kids are to have to ride 70 miles on a bus in order to get to school and 70 yeah. miles to get back home. Transportation costs, for instance, are a huge cost center, much more so than in urban areas oh, yeah. out in rural Texas. So we have to allocate a portion of the school funding budget specifically to rural transportation. And when the price of gas goes from two and a half dollars <laughs> to five dollars, you can imagine what that does to the local school budget. Yeah. Um, uh, so there's it, obviously there's always more nuance than it appears on the on the surface, but. Uh, uh, the the other thing, say you're in Houston, they have over 65 languages they have to teach yeah. in Houston. What? To get kids. Yeah. 65? 65. I didn't know that many languages so the, existed. The Spanish teacher doesn't get as much as the one who teaches some uh, obscure uh, dialect of uh, as as Azari, wow. right? Because yep. it's uh, but you know, I, I, and Dallas, not quite as many uh, languages, yeah. but uh, well, you're. I, you're you're constitutionally required to try and provide a a good public education to all students and if they arrive on your doorstep and they speak uh, urdu or hindustani or uzbekistani uh the school district has to at least make an effort to uh try and accommodate in some form or fashion and uh again it's like in rural texas school buses are a cost center in urban texas Uh, the number of uh, languages you have to deal with as a cost center. And these are not things that uh, private schools have to confront. But the reason that it's never really gotten anywhere in the legislature, but why it might this time, is because the House has always been the place House members are closest to their school districts. A senator probably may have 200 school districts. A House member may have five or eight mm-hmm. or nine. Um, and they um, uh, the, typically they know their superintendents, the, they know the coaches. They, you know, it's, they're part of the community, uh, particularly out in uh, 
in rural, <coughs> yeah. in rural Texas. And um, uh, if you um, uh, if you if you uh, if you take, offend them, <laughs> well, essentially, if you take any money away from the schools, you it has a disproportionate effect when you've got a smaller pool to work ten, from. Ten four. Hey, uh, well, let's see what happens. We're going to call Let, you again, Harvey. I'm just see, warning you. Let's see if the <laughs> lieutenant governor of Texas can crack the whip and, and make something happen. I don't know. Maybe he's got some magic up his sleeve. Time is 4.52. That's Harvey Kronberg from the Quorum Report joining us on News Talk 710 KURV. You're listening to an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. News Talk 710 KURV. When news breaks, we break in. Breaking news. Stay alert and listen to the weather forecast. We need to be aware and alert to what's going on. Breaking news means it's happening now. And we mean now. Breaking news underway right now. Breaking news on News Talk 710 KURV means we're bringing you the news as it happens. We have In this particular instance, we are in receipt of information. When news breaks, we'll break in. Count on News Talk 710 KURV. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. Here's Zach. Well, we're talking about the four-day work week, and we're talking about that with Spencer O'Leary, who is a workplace expert at ActiveOps.com. He joins us now. So how many people are adopting this four-day work week? How popular has it gotten? I think it's becoming really popular. We're finding more and more employees are using it for a couple of different reasons. One, to to attract and retain good talent. Employees seem to like that flexibility of working less days in a week. And also it's good for companies. If you can get the right data about people's performance, and you can manage people, right, then uh, people can do more work in four days than they used to do in five. How does the four-day work week work? What are the what are the hours? Is there an hourly difference? Well, I'm finding some really different models that people are starting to, uh, to adopt in their businesses. Some people are having a set four days a week. You just do your normal weekly hours, but you do longer days for four days. Others are doing a rolling day off every week. So one week you work Monday through Thursday. The next week you kind of you know you have the Thursday off. The following week you have the Wednesday off. There's other organisations uh, who are adopting a, a, a sort of a if you like a hoteling approach where you you reserve your day off uh, and you do that over a rolling month or a rolling quarter. So lots of different models. But what people are pretty much adopting is this idea that says you can do the same number of hours, but you can do it in fewer days. For most people. If they get it right and take Fridays and Mondays off, that gives them a really nice long weekend. I don't imagine this is something that every business could adopt. I'm sure there's some places where you couldn't just do that. I don't know if you've heard anything about uh, school systems that do it. Do you know the particulars? What, did you say of school systems? Yeah. Uh, I haven't heard of school systems that do it. I think um, what I would encourage any, any employer that's thinking of doing it uh, is make sure you've got good data about people's performance. If it was a school that was doing it, I'd encourage them to have good data about student performance. Uh, Because some of the things that are the negatives of this is over the course of an elongated working day where you're doing five days work in four days, human performance can really drop. And when we work eight hours, nine hours, 10 hours in one stretch, particularly if we're not adopting having appropriate levels of break, then people's productivity starts starts to dip and starts to reduce. So if we're in a school environment, 
having that learning experience for students really tail off towards the end of a long working day, that's not a good thing at all. Uh, equally, some people get more relaxation if they do things over four days rather than five, so that's a positive. But if you haven't got the data uh, about people's effort and people's outcomes, what results they achieve, then, then you're not going to know what works. And I've not seen one set of rules, one set of circumstances that works for every single business. It's about every single business working out how this might work for them, how this might work for their employees and adopt an approach that's, that's appropriate in their environment. I see. There needs to be some sort of preliminary uh, view into how something like that might turn out. Spencer O'Leary is our guest on your 956 Drive Home. He's a productivity expert with ActiveOps.com. Davis, rank in your question. If there's resistance to this, uh, who, who's resisting, uh, management or labor? Uh, I think a bit of both when it's done in the wrong way. So uh, when it's done in the right way, and it's a good thing for employee and employer, when both employee and employer invest in getting the right data and work out what, you know, what's right for both sides of that, of that equation, then it can be a real positive experience. When it's only done for the employer, so they can shut something down on a Friday and they don't have to, you know, they don't have to get people into the office or it's only done for the employees uh, and organizations can't service their customer requests on a certain day, a real negative experience and, and isn't going to work. But when employees and employees come together and they get this right, I'm seeing some really positive reactions in the market to getting, to getting this in place. Hmm. Do you think it's, uh, uh, I mean, there's some... Uh, work that where this is not applicable and if you're right now doing a five day a week afternoon talk show from two to four central time i mean four to six central time <laughs> uh, we don't want to work four days uh, we want to work five days we want our four days and get paid for five anyway it, what's not eligible for this in your view yeah and i think it's it's consumer led so uh, I'm, I'm assuming your listeners would like to listen to you guys five days a week. We sure so do hope so. If you only want to work four days a week, you're going to let somebody down at some point. And that's the same in any service industry. Imagine a, you know, a restaurant that's only going to open Monday to Thursday and close on a weekend. That's kind of not going to be good for anybody, particularly the consumers that like to enjoy that establishment. So I find these things are generally consumer-led. Uh, if we're in a, a face-to-face service-related business, or in an entertainment business like yours, then it's going to be really hard to kind of adopt that. But I think when we move to the masses and we think about, uh, you know, whatever proportion of the, the U.S. population mm-hmm. is employed in some sort of service environment where they don't meet people face to face, they're in an office or now working from home somewhere, uh, it's much easier to adopt that much more flexible, uh, you know, slightly wider hours and slightly wider weeks of the, or days of the week that people can work, I think that's uh, an environment that people should look at, at doing this. Speaking of remote work, uh, we were speaking with uh, Spencer O'Leary, productivity expert, I guess, in your 956 Drive Home. I, I, I read an article recently as far as remote work is concerned that the remote jobs are kind of drying up right now. What have you heard? Again, it depends which employee you go to. So I'm still seeing lots and lots of employers who are using uh, they're, they're using the offer of remote work, or at least hybrid work, not coming into the office every day, maybe mm-hmm. coming in once a week or yeah. twice a month or something of that nature. But they're using that as a real driver to incentivize people to go and work for that organization. And you know, working for an organization used to be about yeah, job satisfaction and stuff, but generally it was about you know, pay and reward. It was about pay and it was about benefits. Now it's about pay and it's about benefits, and it's about working environment. And people will work for less, 
they'll generally work harder if you give them some flexibility to work from home. So I'm still seeing that as a real sort of encouraging pull from the market that says flexible working, hybrid working is probably here to stay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll I'll agree with that. There are there are some jobs you really don't need to go into the office for. You that. know, a lot of talk shows have, unbeknownst to me, a lot of talk shows, single uh, single host shows. I bet you have not been. I always thought they were in a studio, like we used to get stuff from New York City, but they were broadcasting from their house. This was twenty years ago. Uh, it cost less now to do that than did then, but. I guess that's sort of apropos of nothing. <laughs> well, but it was it was fun. Yeah, thanks thanks Thank for you. for giving us the breakdown on the four day work week. That's Spencer O'Leary, productivity expert with ActiveOps.com, joining us on News Talk Seven Ten KURV. You're listening to an encore presentation of the Nine Five Six Drive Home on News Talk Seven Ten KURV and KURV.com. your day with news and interviews important to you with the Valley's Morning News. Weekday morning starting at 6. Sergio Sanchez and Tim Sullivan bring you the latest headlines and hourly discussions with AccuWeather to get you ready for your day and special guest interviews on topics that affect you and your family. Good morning. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning, guys. Well, let's now enjoy the show. It's what you need to start your day. The Valley's Morning News with Sergio Sanchez and Tim Sullivan. Weekday morning starting at 6 on News Talk 710 KURV. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. Here's Zach. We're going to have another very interesting discussion about football and the NFL. And it's going to be a very vital and uh, important part, the, the lifeblood of any NFL team, the fans. And I just happened to see some of the... I know people can get passionate about their team and the NFL, and sometimes things go a little bit too far. So we've gone to Dr. Lawana Gladney, an expert on human behavior, joining us on your 956 Drive Home on why do we get so passionate about football in the first place? Well, hello there. How are you today? (laughs) Doing fantastic. Thank you for joining us. Absolutely. Why do we get so passionate? Everybody loves football. It's America's sport. And so the passion comes with the emotion and it comes with the feeling of belonging, like in Maslow's hierarchy of needs, we all have a feeling we want to belong to something. So the fans of football, is like a family. It's like a family of people. As long as you have Uh-oh. the right colors and your jerseys right, then, hey, you are part of our family. And so then everybody gets all riled up and you get ready you're like ooh 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 let's get ready go to the game you paint your face so there's a whole lot of energy that goes into that and when you get there you already oh, yeah 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 let's go and you're with a group of people that are like-minded like you and so you all look at each other yeah we're going to do this and then all you have to do is a little bit of alcohol just a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody goes over the top <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. That's right. Blame it on the beer. I would just like to know. I would just like to note that this this entire description that you had mentioned and illustrated for us takes place before the alcohol comes into the picture. <laughs> I know. That's what I'm saying. It's already like that. Everybody's amped up. They hide, and you know they want the 
fanatical. A fan is somebody who's fanatical. That's what it means. And so everybody is, they're ready. So then you just put that to another level. And so when mm-hmm. things are going well, you're all excited. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then when it doesn't, then everybody becomes a coach. <laughs> and everybody's <laughs> bad. And so we- then, you know, I'm telling you, so you get the mixture of all of what happens. And then there's something called a mob mentality where people do things with, because they're with a group of people that have like mind that they don't normally do by themselves. So when all of the fans and like the, I'm here in Dallas, Dallas Cowboys, we were number three <laughs> on, mm. on as rude as fans, then, you know, you get all of the people together and the the like-mindedness of what you're thinking is the same. Yeah, that wasn't right. Oh, he should have caught that. That was a fumble. The ref did it. I mean, so, you know, you just have all of that. And then, then now you have a little bit of people... It only takes one person to start something negative, and it just kind of spills on. So, yeah, Are, that's what it's, <laughs> what it's J- like. Jerry Jones on. is that one person in the Dallas case, right? He's the guy who starts it all. Dave. Oh, no, I didn't say that. <laughs> No, no, don't, no, no, don't, don't, don't let him, don't let him. Uh, I'm not, I'm not. Because he will, he will goad you. Uh, no, Dr. I'm Lamana not goading Gladney anybody. Is an expert on human behavior. Our guest on your nine five six right home. We're talking about the NFL and how passionate some of the the fans can get. And, and that's the way I'm going to spin it. it. We get very passionate about it, but sometimes we do mm-hmm. take things a little bit too far. And so njbet.com put this entire list together of some of the rudest fans in the NFL and what, what is defined as rude, right? What, what is yeah. in the spirit of sportsmanship and, you know, just being rowdy and, and, and passionate about your, your football team and how well or poor they're doing, uh, how, what is defined as rude? Well, so the rudeness comes like um, what they were looking at is how many fights break out. That's very mm. negative. How much heckling is done, which is, you know, you're you're saying a whole lot of stuff and it's generally not positive. Um, if you're mocking the opposing teams, so you're actually mocking. If you get too drunk, um, they make the game about themselves. They take it too personal. And so all of these things are all what we would call in the negative category of human behavior. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so that's why it is labeled as rude because obviously if people are fighting or using profanity is one of the things that they did. And so generally, you know, sometimes you use profanity in a positive way, but it's generally not. So it's it's all (laughs) negative behaviors. (laughs) Mostly it's out of bounds and and you're in trouble. Uh, I have a serious question. Go ahead, Uh, ahead, David, go ahead. Are there many fights that break out at the Dallas, like Dallas games, home games? I've never been to a game, so I don't know what goes on. No, we usually generally don't have fights, and that's not how they classified. Ours is like we're heckling too much, and you're saying too much, you know, uh, to the other other fans and things like Uh, that. A lot of times, some of these teams they will heckle the players on, on the field and stuff, even though yeah. they can't hear them, but they're shouting out all this stuff. But what happens is we've had a couple of incidences that made the news here, but not a whole lot. And it was a couple of years ago. Um, and it's generally against mm-hmm. the opposing team. And okay. so, yeah, so what it, it just, it, it's like people forgot what true sportsmanship was like. And we see yeah. this even in, in flag football, we see this oh, yeah. with the parents. 
people get too involved, let their mm-hmm. emotions run wild. You can let my child play or that child, you know, it starts yeah. there. And of course, then here we are as these adults going to the game, entertaining something that we're supposed to enjoy. And then you have people, like I said, and, you know, the alcohol usually doesn't help, you know, so yeah, that's what that's what happened, and that's why I came out with this with this list of looking yeah. at uh, Dr. what are the fans doing. Is this helping, so is this helping the doc- players actually? So kind of what it was. Where's the worst? Oh, that's a, that's a good question. But let me let me reset real quick. Dr. Lawana Gladney is an expert on human behavior. We're talking about some of the rudest fans in the NFL, and there was a list that was put out by NJ uh, Bet. Uh, this this entire list and the thing that they're most notorious for, right? And number one at the very top of the list, the Philadelphia Eagles, and their yeah. behavior is that they start fights. Yeah. When when they won and the Super the, Bowl, things got kind of crazy, so right? Had, so it was it was like technically it was like the worst possible scenario for them was actually winning, and then they took to the streets that night, didn't they? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, again, you have people that the aggression. So if you think of the sport of football, it is about aggression. It is about, you know, Mm -hmm. knocking people over. So you just look at it in general. And so everybody, they they just really gets into it and and makes it about them. It's like, yeah, aggression. And so then when you take to the street, you're, you're excited, but it shows as aggression. (laughs) <laughs> and it shows yeah. in that rowdiness. And, yeah, when they were talking about the uh, the Raiders and they just got their football team, you know, what, a couple of years ago? It's like, well, how do they make the list? They should be happy. In Vegas, yeah. Well, again, yeah, again, it's, it's, you know, what the people around you. So if the environment of the fans, if it's set that, hey, you know, yeah, we get as rowdy as we possibly can – and and the cameras will do that. It'll show the fans that are just Ugh! and so people just take it to other levels because they don't have that kind of control because they're the thing and they feel like they should be able to do that. So it's not just the normal. It's not just the normal, you know, the loyalty that they have, yeah. but it's just when they take it to that next level. It's just yeah. Yeah. Only and I'll list people. out. I'll list out <laughs> some of the things that that were mentioned on the list. Number one is the the Eagles for starting fights. The Raiders start fights too. The Dallas Cowboys heckle too much. The whole we them boys, mm-hmm. we them boys, five rings, five rings. I I, I I get that. I hear that a lot. Fred, one of our uh, producers here, loves the Bills, and they get drunk too much. They're number nine on the list. <laughs> yeah, the Tampa Bay Bucks <laughs> mock opposing teams and fans a lot, and there's just it's it's just basically a lot of heckling that gets too far. But I got it. Somebody had passed a, a question along to me. Has it gotten worse with social media yeah. as opposed to the time before social media? Well, you know, hmm. it's kind of really hard to say because social media. And, and phones didn't capture what people were doing. But now it just seems like, you know, people behaving badly. Some people act up for the, for the kids and they're like, yeah, look at me. Yeah, I'm over here. And so it, it's a mystery. It's hard to know because it's weren't captured before. But I have felt like just the whole, just in general, the human nature risen to a level that didn't you be so angry and now people snap in a second so i think it's just because all of the things that are going on that makes people like unstable 
And I think to me, I have looked in a lot of different areas and thought, yeah, we just doing the most now. <laughs> Before, it seems like we, had, we were a little bit kinder. But now Are these captured, it's like, yeah. wow. We really these we really got these factors that you're mentioning about. Not, we're not supposed to be fighting. <laughs> I'm sorry, Dr. Gladdy. As some of these things that you're mentioning about these elements, you, you know, you, you get caught up in the moment, you get swept up because everybody else is doing it. And you had mentioned earlier, mm -hmm. this has been a big topic, especially around uh, taxes with with, uh, hi, with high school football. Is it, hey, the the parents start getting involved at the kids' games? You know, as as yeah. uh, as young as little league, you know, t yeah. ball. The, yeah. the 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 parents are heckling the kids as they're going yeah, up to bat. Absolutely. How does is that the same thing? Yeah, and the parents fighting. The parents are fighting <laughs> each other. They're fighting the refs, and all of that, all of that bad behavior now transfers over to kids. And so we're not setting any kind of good example, but it's all encompassing because again, it's still about the sport. You feel in this emotion. You're so and when, when it's your kid, you know, and I have four kids, and my son played football as well, and so of course you're gonna have a different, a little different feeling, but you're not supposed to be running out on the field and, and, and telling the coaches and, and the refs what they need to do. It's, it's too much. And that's what one of these talks about, how you make it about yourself. It's not about you. And so now the sportsmanship has been lost in all of what's going on. And they were talking about how they're going to have to redo things um, mm. and, the, um, and with the younger yes. ones even. The if, there's a, if there's a like, lesson that we're to draw from this, I'm sorry. If there's if there's a lesson that we're that we're to draw from this, is it at at the very least just don't drink when you go to sporting <laughs> events? He doesn't drink, by <laughs> yeah. the way. Doctor. That would be well, drink in moderation. Because what happens if people, you know, I'm not going to tell people not to drink because that's all the fun of it. You know, you got to get a beer and a hot dog, you know, at a football game. That's what people attend for sometimes. But to to be moderate, you know, you can think of it as it's something fun. It's entertaining. Yes, you want your team to win. Yes, you feel passionate. But if you don't make it about you, then it won't get to another level. People do. They make it about them. And you said that again. They were talking about they were talking about the quarterback on the field. They weren't talking about you. <laughs> Women yeah. take that personal. You know what I'm saying? So I think if That's we could good. all just say, Hey, let's not make this about me. Yeah. It's about yeah, the game. Or I'm gonna kick your ear in, right? That's, let's not that's make good. it about me. But I'm that's gonna kick good you. to take it to heart. Thank you, Davis. Doctor Lawana Gladney, thanks a lot for Thank your, you, your time here today. Expert on human behavior joining us on News Talk seven ten K U R V. You're listening to an encore presentation of the nine five six drive home on News Talk seven ten K U R V and K U R V dot com. You're always on the go. Obviously pretty busy. Busy with work. Picking up my kids from school. From work to kids to running errands. Your entire day is a hands-on, never-ending frenzy of activity. Luckily, getting the news is now voice activated. Just say, Alexa, play 710-KURB. I'd like to know what's going on in my world. I gotta know what's going on in my city. Putting the smart in your smart speaker. I'm getting my news from you and my information. For the latest news and to find out what's happening in rich, clear audio. Just say, Alexa, play 710 KURV. As long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Parami app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. 
stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radiopotomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710 KURV.